The Quarantine Conversations podcast series aims to show what it's like to be an earth, ocean, or atmospheric scientist. There's a lot of diversity under that umbrella, and not all of our scientists wear lab coats. Uh, today we're talking to Catherine Raymond, um, a geologist, right? Hydrogeologist. Hydrogeologist, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, now, Catherine, in this series, we aim to meet people at various stages in their scientific studies. Um, so would you consider yourself to be a student, a teacher, a, a hobbyist, or a researcher, a practitioner? Um, um, my title is a research scientist, and I'm new enough to it. Uh, just graduated from my master's that I'm pretty excited saying that out loud still. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a research scientist working for my master's advisor, Uli Nier. Wonderful. Now, what is a hydrogeologist? How would you describe that? Um, my uncle always jokingly says she studies wet rocks, but that's not true. Um, I look at uh, groundwater, so... Um, there's kind of the physical aspects of how water moves through the subsurface, which focuses more on the on the physics and, and math of, of the flow mechanisms. Um, and then there's also the kind of chemical hydrogeology side, which looks at contamination and how to remediate water, um, focusing on water quality. Um, so I'm I'm more focused on the on the chemistry side. Wonderful. Okay. Um... Yeah, I never thought about there being so much diversity within hydrogeology, but I guess it makes sense. Uh, water is a chemical. Um, yeah, so there's, I guess there's chemical and physical, or uh, physics involved too. <laughs> yeah, 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 you can kind of specialize in different things. And then beyond that too, there's, there's people that focus more on, on field work and collection, and then the kind of chemistry in the lab. Um, or construction, and then also numerical modeling, so doing it, things behind the computer. Uh, now, hydrogeology isn't, um, isn't a typical field. Uh, it's not like um, we dress up as a hydrogeologist for Halloween, or um, <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into hydrogeology, or did you always want to be a hydrogeologist? I didn't know it existed until I was in my undergrad and I took a lecture at the University of Waterloo um, and it was, a, it was a general science course on environmental geology and they had a lecture on looking at arsenic contamination in Bangladesh and remediating um, it as an, it's a natural contaminant there that's present in a lot of the rocks and, and leaches into the water and causes a lot of problems for drinking water contamination. Uh, and I went up to the professor after the class and asked how I could do that. <laughs> and she told me that I should switch into hydrogeology. And I, I was in environment uh, and resource studies at the time. And, and I was like, no, that's okay. <laughs> but eventually talking to her a bit more, I, I learned a bit more about it. Because it's not something that I was ever introduced to before. Um, yeah, and it just kind of grew on me. <laughs> now, when you say remediating, uh, what do you mean? So, um, from different industry or, or natural um, activities, so it could be um, 
there's sometimes just metals present in the rock in, in the ground that we don't think about and or say there's an oil spill um, from a leaky gas station, for example. Uh, water is moving through the subsurface naturally underground and, and that um, we use the water in aquifers as, as a resource for drinking water a lot of the time. And mm -hmm. so if the water comes in contact with these contaminants, it can kind of get pulled along for, for longer periods of uh, distances and, and contaminate drinking water sources. So there's a variety of different methods that we use to either um, plan things so that doesn't happen. Prevention is always the best <laughs> method. Um, or once they do happen, uh, different strategies to reclimate or, or treat the water essentially so that it's good for drinking. Excellent. So you're a part of the side of, of um, mining, which is really concerned with uh, the environment. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know when I started in uh, earth science, or when I started in, in environmental studies, I didn't expect to be working for a mining company when I graduated, but uh, it was, it was actually, it was really interesting experience. Um, so I, my research for my master's focused on mine waste rock storage. So um, when they're extracting commodities out of the subsurface, they have to remove a lot of rock that's overlying it to access the valuable commodities such as diamonds or gold. Mm -hmm. um, but to do that, they have to break up the rock and bring it up to the surface. And um, what happens is it, it'll weather. So kind of how uh, iron is out it, when it starts to rust, kind of a similar thing will happen with the rock being in contact with oxygen. Um, if there's sulfur minerals in it, it will form sulfuric acid, which kind of leaches out different metals into the water and that's in the pore spaces in the rock. And so if you have this big rock pile, um, sometimes, or like after it rains, for example, the water will transport through the pile, and um, if it's left untreated, it, it can be bad depending on depending on what your rock content was originally. Um, so we look at using computer models to investigate different scenarios to try and prevent that um, from happening and make sure it's it's less bad on the receiving environment. Interesting, and that, I mean that's incredibly important to do. Uh, right the first time, I guess. Yeah, uh, there's a big legacy of, of mining um, contamination issues <clears throat> across the globe, really. And, and it's something that we don't think about that much. Um, anything that can't be grown must be mined. Mm -hmm. So you think about all the, all the resources that we use for mining and then all the waste material that's produced from that. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind for, for many people. Um, but like for one mine site, you can have uh, 500,000 meters cubed of waste rock, which would fill um, 483,747 jets. Oh, uh, and that's just one mine site. So it's just like, it's such a big impact and it's something we don't talk about. I mean, that damage can last for thousands of years, right? Yeah, they have some mines um, from Roman times, I think, that are still causing acid mine drainage. <laughs> uh, 
Wow. So that's really interesting research. Um, have you made any discoveries that you're really proud of? Um, or any work that you're, you're really proud of? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty excited about uh, the work I did for my master's. Um, even, even reactive transport modeling, so using computer models to simulate potential different storage methods for, for the waste rock piles so that they're, they're less bad long-term. Um, it's, it's a pretty new field. And so um, right now I'm working on a, a paper that looks at uh, different ways to build the pile because um, when they take all this rock out, they're using haul trucks and bulldozers essentially to, to build these mountains of, of rock material. And so we look at the best way to store it to either divert the water away so it's just kind of stays dry and, and um, there's no transport of any metals out of the pile or um, sometimes they'll want to limit the oxygen. Um, so what you can do is actually a lot of the time putting the rock back into the pit and then and then filling it up with water if, if it's not going to go anywhere is actually one of the better solutions because you stop the oxygen from reacting. Um, so I mean, not a specific discovery, but uh, just just it's been interesting. It's it's cool building the computer models because it's kind of like a big puzzle. You have to think about everything that's going into it and and consider all the processes that are working together, make sure that it makes sense, and and it kind of helps you build this picture of like where we can focus our efforts to make the most positive impact. Now, when you say this is a relatively new field, uh, how new is new to you? Well, <laughs> or, or how I'm, new is the field? <laughs> I mean, hydrogeology in general is is pretty is a pretty young science. Um, I'm hesitant to say how it's like a hundred, two hundred years maybe, okay. um, but. Uh, like using computer models to simulate this. It's, I guess I say that it's new because there's still not a lot of people that use it. And as technology improves, um, we're starting to ha have computing capabilities to, to model these, these complex systems. But um, it's new because we didn't have the computing resources to just for the for the computer to be able to process all the numbers of everything even in the past. Well, that's really exciting because I mean, being a new field, that means that there's still a lot of room for um, for new researchers like yourself or anyone who's listening uh, to make a major discovery, which could um, uh, flip the whole field on its its head or um, you know make really big changes to the the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, we we're still with mine waste too. It's it's every, every conference I've gone to, it's it's like we're learning, <laughs> we're trying <laughs> to improve things. But um, a lot of things in earth science with the subsurface, you're dealing with things that you can't you can't see the whole picture because it's on such a big scale. So a lot of the time you're dealing with like toothpicks of data, and you're trying to like solve the mystery by unraveling all the processes that that have made either made that specific deposit or will happen in the future. 
yeah, you're really relying on, on the work of many different people to create that uh, or to assemble that puzzle. Yeah, definitely. So um, you talked about what you're re you did research in the past. What are you researching right now? Um, well, I'm still kind of wrapping up the same research. Oh, okay. um, we're trying to publish the work that I just finished for my master's, but um, I am hoping that uh, in the next few months, I'll be starting to work more with uh, Greg Dipple. He's at the University of British Columbia as well. Mm -hmm. And their work focuses on carbon sequestration. Uh, so they're looking at taking carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and storing it long-term in mineral form um, through carbonization. So uh, when it's in the atmosphere, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but uh, like there's, uh, when you have atmospheric carbon dioxide, it's causing all these problems with global warming. So a big push for research is how can we sequester that and store it long-term so it's stable, so it's not impacting the atmospheric um, global warming issues. So one of those things is to take it out of the air and um, form rock material. And then once it's in a rock form, it's stable. That's really impressive. You're not only just trying to um, make mines carbon neutral, but actually carbon negative. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not the best expert to talk about this, but it's been really inspiring listening to just being involved in their group meetings lately. Um, yeah, it seems like in the future, um, not, yeah, not just offsetting, but um, sequestering carbon dioxide could be really beneficial. And it's kind of funny because a lot of the time, I, myself included, I, I worked for a diamond mine in the Northwest Territories and and uh, that was a bit hard for, for my uh, environmentally conscientious <laughs> persona to think about, but um, this, these mines are actually driving a lot of this research and, and funding, and it is happening, a lot of the carbon sequestration projects are happening through diamond mines. Oh. Um, and so it's, it's kind of funny to think about that. <laughs> Uh, diamonds are carbon, so carbon comes out, carbon goes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, now, uh, when we think of geologists, we often think of them sitting in a dusty classroom looking at rocks. Uh, but a lot of the work actually is done outside, uh, in the field, um, in these mines and, and places like that. Um, and I often hear these crazy stories of people having these really interesting experiences outside the classroom. Um, do you have any that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, um, so most of the work I'm doing now limits me, uh, from, well, not limits me. I don't go into the field as much as I used to, but I chose that purposely. <laughs> I wanted a bit of a break. Um, but when I did work uh, for the mine company in Northwest Territories, um, one of the jobs I had was wildlife monitoring, which is not something I expected from my uh, undergrad training, but it was really cool. Um, we, I, a lot of the time would uh, be involved in kind of babysitting grizzly bears oh. on site. So um, we would have grizzly bears come through site and um, a lot of people are working outside. So monitoring them to make sure that they're not 
like and, and informing the other workers that are outside to make sure that they have a safe exit strategy and, and making sure everyone's safe, but also um, not disturbing the bear. So sometimes it was it was watching them. Um, another thing that I were, used to do. Were you watching the bears or the workers? <laughs> uh, mostly the bears to see if they moved but some days they would just lie down in the grass for like 12 hours a day and i was just in my truck just watching <laughs> um, which was really cool they they would have i think i think that um they would have their cubs and then come to the site sometimes because the mine noises and activity would actually deter predators so they probably felt a bit safe um but then but then obviously the mine workers don't feel as safe so we had to keep eyes on them and and um kind of inform everyone that's working in the area just did you get mindful. did you get to know the bears individually i mean it did it was pretty cool one summer i watched uh a baby bear like grow up a bit and oh. There was one that kept returning actually on, on to the site. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. You kind of you kind of feel connected to them a bit if you spend days just watching them, getting <laughs> to know their habits. Um and I'm then sure you kept a safe distance, right? <laughs> yeah, I was in the truck. <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, I haven't actually had any encounters with wildlife outside of the safety of a vehicle which is funny a, a lot of people do um and then i guess i was also monitoring uh one of the things we had to do for our environmental permitting was make sure that um birds of prey so protected birds such as ravens and falcons and hawks weren't nesting in in the pit um, because they're protected and if they nest and lay an egg, uh, sometimes the blast will scare them off and um, we don't want them to abandon the egg or their, or their babies. So we would also send someone out to monitor for 12 hours a day um, just to make sure that there's no birds nesting in the pit. And then different bird species have different radius that they're comfortable with being close to the blast. So we'd monitor that. Um, and then, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really not something you think about in, in the mining process is um, bear, bear gazing and bird watching. <laughs> no, and it's actually such a big deal because <laughs> like they, because it's part of the environmental permit, if a bird did nest, then we would have to shut down operations until the young are old enough to fly. So that happened one year and it cost the mine hundreds of thousands of dollars to stop production. So it, it made sense to send an employee out to monitor. And then if, if they do build a nest, um, you have to hire scalers to come and, and move the nest and, and then they get I think they get like attacked by the birds because if you think about birds and during nesting season, they they can get pretty aggressive. I've seen some crows around here, but yeah. ravens are a bit bigger too. So it's <laughs> yeah, I've seen eagles up close. They're they're pretty big. Um, 
I can imagine how big a raven is up close. Um, I wouldn't want to get that up, that close to them, um, unprotected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it is, yeah, it is cool that that part of the re requirements for the mining activities are to consider the impacts on wildlife and communities like that. Absolutely. That's something I kind of learned just from working there. I hadn't thought about it before. <laughs> um, now, Catherine, it sounds like uh, your job is actually really exciting. Um, you get to hang out with bears and birds. <laughs> uh, you get lots of fresh air. Uh, you get to see diamond mines. Um, do you have a favorite part of your, your job? Uh, well, I mean, I <laughs> as fun as monitoring wildlife was, I did leave <laughs> mine site because I did miss kind of the challenging aspect that um, drew, drew me back to do my master's at UBC. Um, so I, I actually enjoy the computer modeling a bit more. I think, I think it's good to have a balance between field work and, and um, lab work or, or desk work, which is something that's kind of beneficial. Um, I think of working in earth sciences, you can kind of have that balance mm -hmm. a lot of the time, but uh, my favorite thing is just putting together these these kind of puzzles with numerical models, and I don't know. It's I it's it's a nerdy answer, <laughs> but I like thinking about all the processes, how they interact, and and building the model in in the code. And it's not foolproof. There's a lot of emotional roller coaster involved when the model doesn't run, and and trying to trying to think about. Um, if you've considered all the different processes that are interacting and then realizing that you forgot something going back and rerunning um, it, but it, it kind of, it's, it's challenging and it, it, it challenges me to think about all the processes that I learned in school and, and make sure that they're all working together. And then, and then the model challenges you with that because sometimes you'll get results and they don't make sense. And that's, that leads to kind of a different whole set of processes and questions. So I guess that's kind of on the note of like discovery that you were talking about. It's maybe not breakthrough discoveries day to day, but it's, um, it's like smaller scale breakthroughs and, and kind of challenging yourself. You're contributing pieces to the larger puzzle, um, a puzzle which no one person could ever actually build themselves in a single lifetime. Um, and so, yeah, it sounds like what you're doing is really exciting. Um, it must be really satisfying to be able to pull all these different pieces of information from different parts of your, your history and, and your, your brain uh, and put them together. Um, and then when it, it works, it must be like, um, you know, popping champagne corks in, in, your, <laughs> in your heart. <laughs> yeah, it feels really good when it works. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Uh... I had something I was going to say, but I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. Um, I'll ask a follow-up question. Uh, when you're um, testing your, your models, are you testing them in the real world or testing them in the computer? So there's two different methods of, of validating uh, or testing them. Um, there's model validation where you are looking at different models that have the same, like they put the same mathematical 
equations and, and chemistry equations uh, all, in the, all in the model together. And so you test the same question basically on two different models and then you compare the results. And if, if they're the same, then it's validating the model because you've tried two different methods and it's giving you the same result. And then model verification is when you have um, results from a mine site and you're trying to match the model to that. Um, and so it's good to you're it's good to do both. <laughs> um, and I mean, ultimately, it depends on the application, but a lot of the time um, you're using the models to try and solve something for a specific mind site. So um, you want to look at you can kind of do it as a first step to investigate what methods might be the easiest because if you think about like all the work that goes into field or lab methods like the hours or or in, especially in the fields like the effort of moving all that waste rock up out of the pile and onto the surface it's good to have the computer models to kind of help you conceptualize like what might be the best method to do first mm -hmm. and then also doing it simultaneously to check your results and and feed that feed those results into the model to help it forecast in a way that's gonna give you hopefully a better result um, for what might happen in the future I think that's one of the best um, explanations for the value of computer modeling I've heard so far. Um, <laughs> My advisor will be so proud of me. <laughs> I mean, it may be frustrating to do a bunch of keystrokes, um, you know, spend a week or two uh, punching information into a computer, but it's so much less frustrating than hauling rocks from one pile to another pile. <laughs> or doing a lab method for six months to a few years and then finding out that it didn't work that's devastating <laughs> like <laughs> i i yeah there that's definitely happened <laughs> and it was kind of the reason i chose to go into numerical modeling for my masters because i'm not good at computers i my value <laughs> that i bring sometimes is that i will make all the mistakes and help other people make less mistakes because I've tested them all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really know much. I, I made some like, I was the kind of person that would do some formulas in Excel and, and uh, frustrate my coworkers by that level of computing knowledge. So then when I got to university and everyone's coding in Python or R, uh, it's just, it was over my head. <laughs> and so I think and I think that that's kind of partly because people don't really know that much about the field and, and what, what it looks like. But um, there's a lot of really cool applications, not just in hydrogeology, but for using computer modeling in earth sciences. Well, I'm glad you're, um, you're leading the way in that. Um, I know I've certainly made more than my fair share of mistakes with with this magic box we call the computer. Um, <laughs> it's not my friend either. <laughs> uh, and I don't use it for nearly anything as important as what you do. So um, I'm glad you're getting a hold on it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, now, that being said, is there any way in which um, your experience in the field of earth, ocean, and atmospheric sciences, uh, have you ever felt that you've been unfairly um, made to struggle or been treated un unfairly? Yeah, I, I mean, 
It's not a very diverse field right now, <laughs> and I would like it to get more. So, um, and I think it, I think it's gotten a lot bit better. Um, just as a as a woman in mining, um, definitely a minority, and and I have my I have a lot of like white privilege, um, and, um, but being a young female working at a mine site was tough. Like I, there's just a lot of questioning. And people, people just kind of treat you differently, like, oh, miss, you need a hand helping carry that thing. And I think, I think the general attitude that I got from that kind of pushed me to become a person that's like, no, I can do it myself. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, but it was really different transitioning from industry to the university um, it's weird to say, but I was like, there's so many young people that aren't looking at me here. <laughs> it was just kind of reassuring. It's, and, and that comes with the seeing, seeing people that, that you re you resonate with or, or that look like you. Um, and, and so I, I hope it gets more diverse in the future, but I, I am aware that, uh, yeah, recent conversations have, indicated that and, and I mean it's not recent they their data's been there for a while but um recent events have kind of spurred conversations a bit more that uh earth sciences is the least diverse faculty in stem and but I mean it's also it it is in even in its um in its I guess in its image it doesn't seem like something that's so diverse because we don't talk about it that much. Like people think about a geologist walking in the field alone, wearing plaid and having a big beard or something. But like, I don't know. I just, I didn't know what hydrogeology was until I was an undergrad. And then, and then there's so many different fields within that. Like you can focus on the field work, the chemistry, the lab work, the computer modeling aspect. So I think I think as technology improves, hopefully the diversity will also improve. I hope so too. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I've heard uh, similar stories from um, working in industry from, from persons um, that, that I've spoken to. But um, I hope that um, interviews like this are contributing to that diversity, encouraging a more diverse crowd to go out there and encouraging uh, the existing people uh, in that area to be um, a little more uh, welcoming, whether consciously or, or subconsciously, um, because sometimes people can be un, uh, unwelcoming um, unintentionally. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I hope so. <laughs> and well, and I mean, I did have some really good mentors at the mine, um, like stronger female leads um, would call me into the office and I was a co-op student at the time. I was like, why does this person that designed the wind farm at the mine want to talk to me um, but she just wanted to give me a pep talk and be an ally and so I think that there's numbers growing and in, even in the one even in the sectors that are less diverse and and conversations are happening and yeah well that's great to know it's good to know that there's um yeah generations are looking after the, the younger generations yeah yeah and it is I mean, it's hard to go through it, but then 
I don't know, for me, one of the ways to transform those negative experiences is to go out and help other people and try and encourage other people to be in the field. Cause, cause I don't want to leave. I like this field. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like you're doing important work as well. Thank you. Yeah. It's rewarding. It's rewarding work. Now, um, those are things that you've struggled or um, had to deal with yourself. But one thing that we're all having to deal with, uh, again, yourself included, is the COVID-19 outbreak and our subsequent um, uh, isolation and, and not going into to work anymore. Uh, has that impacted your ability to do your research? Fortunately, it did not. <laughs> I think I maybe want to, but on a, on a research level, um, I was wrapping up my thesis and so I was like, great, I was going to plan on being in isolation anyway. <laughs> uh, now the whole world is, so I don't, I don't feel like I'm missing out, but no, I think, I think, um, like the mental health aspects were pretty significant and kind of impossible to escape. Um, I've had my fair share of, um, going through anxiety and depression in my life. And so I felt like working through that kind of prepared me some for, for COVID and um, kind of doing the self-care work to make sure that um, you're doing okay as best as you can through COVID. Um, but fortunately, as having, a, having this job lined up that was computer-based already, um, my day-to-day -day work hasn't been substantially impacted. It's mostly um, just making sure to, I mean, at the start, it was hard not to work constantly because you just have so much time, but mm -hmm. different, different problem than many have faced. So I'm feeling pretty fortunate. <laughs> I guess that's uh, a big benefit of having um, your work on a computer. Um, it's more mobile. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even when I started this, or my master's project, I kind of was excited by the aspect that I could hit run for some of my models and then go for a walk. And like, like it's not, it's not the same as you're committed to going into the field and collecting samples every, every hour, every day. Same with the lab that some people have. Um, so it's a bit more flexible in that aspect. And then unforeseen events. <laughs> it's, it's definitely remained flexible considerably. And I guess the downside, of course, is what you're saying. It seems like you've got all this time because uh, you're, you're basically living in your office. Um, so you feel like you should be working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, whereas in, when you're in the office, you know, five o'clock rolls around and um, you're like, well, it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think questioning that is super important because you, it drained on me pretty fast I was starting to get pretty tired and um yeah it kind of it's it's been nice and in some ways it's good to have flexibility um but it's also good to make sure that you're tracking your hours and and making sure because your brain needs rest to figure out these problems and otherwise you're just not working as efficiently <laughs> your brain's like the computer you've got to hit enter uh, let it run in the background and then go for a walk <laughs> yeah 
And same with the computer, you know, if you don't press sleep or turn it off every once in a while, it starts to get pretty mad at you. So your brain needs that too. That reminds me, I should restart my computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Catherine, those are all the questions I have. Uh, is there anything you want to share before I let you go? No, I think that's it. It was it was really nice to to talk and kind of have this opportunity to talk about numerical modeling um, and kind of this this niche in hydrogeology. Yeah, and thanks for explaining this field, which um, I don't think about very often, but it turns out is incredibly important. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 very. It's very inspiring to see how the industry is transforming and will continue to transform kind of as, as people, as society becomes more environmentally conscientious, I think priorities um, in different industries change. And um, yeah, I guess I would just like to tell people to consider that and consider coming into the field of hydrogeology or earth science, especially if you're good at computers, because we need you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, um, here's wish wishing you all the best as you keep working. Uh, congratulations on just graduating and Thank stay you. safe. Thanks, you too. Great talking to you. <laughs>